What's up, Pits? Welcome back to the Cherry Pit Podcast. My name's Simran, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. And today I'm going to be diving into the world of celebrity scandals, but not just any scandals. I'm going to be discussing scandals that have happened pre-social media. So honestly, anything before, before the 2010s. Because I feel like social media has amplified the the scandal business quite a bit, if you will, because it's just so much easier now than it was in, say, 1950 to spread the news of a scandal to a huge audience over multiple different platforms And it has also just allowed or enabled a lot of dialogue around these scandals because there's so many different forums where people can thoroughly dissect the scandal and theorize about the scandal and just like blow it into a completely different proportion. And social media, like it's never forgiving. Like you can apologize, but you're never going to you're never going to be forgiven. Like it's always going to be, the records are there and your PR manager is just going to have to be working overtime in the next few weeks. But that's not to say that celebrities didn't get exposed and called out in the past, because if you kind of think about it, like celebrity drama in like pre-social media is kind of more impressive and I don't know, juicy because what like the only form of the only way of spreading that news was via like newspapers radio television and these forms of media had limited segments so for your scandal to make it into one of these platforms was honestly pretty huge for the time especially if you were a long-standing discussion like if your scandal was being covered for multiple weeks at a time like that's pretty huge i would be i would honestly be a little flattered if a broadcasting channel thought my scandal was that interesting like i don't know if i'd be completely mad um but let's just jump right into it with the first one which is a bit of a classic and that is the millie vanilli scandal of the 90s And just to give a bit of a backgrounder, Millie Vanilli was a German R&B duo. They sort of started emerging during the 80s and were pretty popular by the early 90s. They sold millions of records. They even got a Grammy for the best, uh, I think it was like the upcoming artist or new artist of the year. They were honestly doing really good until everyone found out that they're a complete sham um in around 1989 to 19 i think 91 people found out that they didn't record their own vocals so the first sort of hint towards this was in 89 when they were performing live and it was revealed that they were just lip syncing because the the audio that they were lip syncing over was it started jamming on like one lyric and 
somehow they were able to come back from this. I, I, I mean, if this happened today, like people would have, there's like hundreds of people recording in the audience. So that would not have, I feel like it would not, we would not have laid that to rest the way that they were able to, but they went on for another year until one of the three vocalists that they were paying to actually record the album came forward. Um, also, side note, how are they paying for three when there's only supposedly two people that are, it's a duo, there's only two people that are supposed to be in this band? I feel like the, there were so many hints that were there for the fans, the audience, but... Yeah, I don't know how this went on for so long. Anyways, one of um so one of the like the front men, the, the fakers was gloating on some magazine about being like the next Bob Dylan, the next Mick Jagger, and one of the vocalists I guess just got fed up and came forward. Millie Vanilli's international release of their album attributed the vocals to the actual vocalists but the american release attributed the vocals to the two front men and i guess this was never supposed to be the plan i guess they were just owning up to the fact that these weren't their vocals back home but the vocalists were not happy with their work being attributed to these two people so yeah he came forward and they tried to have him retract his statement but it was just downhill from there they were being ridiculed on the letterman just dragged in pop culture which i really wish this would have happened today because i feel like we would have just obliterated them on social media but honestly, I think they got pretty grilled for the times as it was because a bunch of lawsuits came out of this. Like people wanted refunds for the for the records that they bought and for the concerts that they attended under consumer fraud protection laws. Because, I mean, it, it makes sense because they didn't buy what they were thinking they were buying or getting the experience they thought they were going to get. It was it was pretty fraudulent. So there was like 10 million buyers who were eligible to claim a refund. So, oh, and then they also had to, they had to return their Grammy. (laughs) Their Grammy got revoked. (laughs) That's my favorite part. Yeah. They, I feel like that's the quickest rise and fall from fame. I just think this is so bold of them. Like, I don't know how long they expected this to keep working for them, but I think it also speaks a lot to how much you need to become like an international success because clearly they had the stage presence and the persona to attract such a big fan base and maybe the vocalists didn't have that, so they kind of just created their own assembly line and put the best pieces of each other together to form this really successful band. But at the same time, I would be really pissed if my vocals were being used by somebody else to gain fame and a lot more money than they paid me for the vocals. So I'd do the same thing. (laughs) 
Okay, let's move up a decade and discuss Winona Ryder stealing $5,000 worth of designer clothes from Saks Fifth Avenue. This one just baffles me. Like, this wasn't a money issue. She was just bored. Because this was after she did Girl Interrupted, Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and I'm sure like a bunch of other things because she was one of the most popular actresses at the time. So was she just bored? Was she doing it for the thrill of it? Like, I really want to know what her thought process was behind this because it wasn't even worth it in the end. She got caught. There was CCTV footage. She faced four felonies, including burglary and grand theft, which carried a potential three-year prison sentence. She got off on 480 hours of community service and then also had to pay a fine. And then she was also dragged in media. Like, this was the hottest topic of the time. But in the end, she did get off with essentially a slap on the wrist because of her fame and her money. But I just think still it it wasn't worth it. (laughs) Like, what? What did what did she gain in the end? And did she really think she was gonna get away with trying to steal five thousand dollars worth of merchandise? Like that's a lot. I don't I wanna know what she was trying to take. Like was she walking out there with multiple pieces of clothing or was it just I don't know, like a ring worth five thousand dollars? I need to know how I need to know her strategy and her thought process, because it It just wasn't a good combo that day. (laughs) Okay, so for this next one, we are jumping all the way back to the 70s to discuss the theft of Charlie Chaplin's corpse. I can't believe this is actually a thing that happened, but essentially Chaplin died in 1977, and then a few months later, two guys dug up his corpse and then tried to demand a ransom from his widowed wife. Um, They even like went as far as threatening his two children. But eventually the police was able to trace the phone calls and they found out it was two mechanics who had committed the crime. And they confessed that they had reburied Charlie Chaplin's body in a cornfield about a mile away from where he was first buried. So they were convicted on counts of grave robbing and attempted extortion, but in the end they just they just had to do four and a half they were sentenced to four and a half years of hard labor. And then one of the other guys was given a 18-month suspended sentence after found to have limited involvement in the heist, which I don't know. I don't really know what that means, if I'm going to be honest, but it doesn't sound like it was enough <laughs> for digging up the body of an 88-year-old, which, why would you even, like... For half a million dollars, it does not, it doesn't sound worth it to me, personally. Like, I think we should counter in the cost of trauma. 
and this and to do that months later too because the body would have been pretty well decomposed and then they didn't find the perpetrators until five weeks after the after they dug his body up the first time so that's another five weeks of decomposing just imagine being a part of the police unit that had to dig him up the second time and then you know put him back like oh that's so nasty like that's such an inconvenient crime to do for both parties honestly i don't um grave robbing just does not seem worth it like good luck with all the juju that you have now accumulated from digging up that body because i feel like the other dead bodies in that cemetery are not gonna like that like i think there's a certain kind of camaraderie that comes with being (laughs) buried amongst other bodies and i i think you messed with the wrong crowd so honestly they they just brought their own little spiritual sentence onto themselves so i'd love to know how their lives spanned out after that crime like how long did they live what kind of what was their like good luck bad luck ratio because i'm really willing to bet there was a lot more bad luck (laughs) honestly i feel like no this would be taking it too far no i was gonna suggest that maybe like their bodies should have been dug up as like a as like a payback but no no that would be bad let's not do that okay moving back up to the 90s next i want to talk about the time that mike tyson bit off a piece of his opponent's ear during a match so apparently he was in the ring with a evander hoyfeld and he took off a one inch piece of this man's right ear but the fight kept going like i guess it didn't it wasn't much of an issue to him so they kept going until tyson attempted to bite his left ear (laughs) what like as if as if that wasn't enough for him (laughs) so there was like a history of beef between between the two and tyson did claim that the bites were retaliation for these instances um but i i just don't understand how he got away with that like how like when does when do you cross the line between a boxing fight and an assault charge like is does anything go because i i guess this wasn't in the rule book because he didn't get any consequences for this so who who's who's who prevents this in the future (laughs) well how did this happen? I don't even know what to ask right now because I'm so baffled. I also want to know what compelled him to go for the ear. Like, and, and to go for both ears at the same time. Like, what was it? Was it Van Gogh inspired? Like, what was his rationale? What was going through his mind when he was doing this? And I'm impressed. 
I'm impressed that he's still held on to such an acclaimed title as a fighter because I don't think that stopped his career. People were still willing to go into the ring with him, which I don't know why. Why would you go into the ring with this man after he bit one inch off of somebody's ear and then attempt to do, to do the same on the other? Personally, I could not justify getting into the ring with him after hearing that he did that. All right, Pitts, that's all I have for you today. If you have any favorite celebrity scandals or anything you think I missed, I would love to hear about it in the comments below. Maybe we can even do a part two to this. But thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye!